We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Emma Hayes. This is the interview we did two weeks ago with Emma. Uh, absolutely fantastic. You're going to love this. Uh, really excited to get your thoughts. Let me know what you think. At Gary Kernin on Instagram. At Gary Kernin on Twitter. This episode is brought to you by Duke Dick Brand. They offer a variety of soccer-specific waterproof notebooks, planners, and accessories for coaches and players. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone listening here knows exactly who they are. Started by two professional players, Duke Dick Brand strives to create the tools that are simple and well designed. Head over to Duke Dick Brand D U K T I G B R A N D dot com and use the discount code M S C all caps for 10% off your order. We've got a great relationship with Duke Dick Brand and I'm a massive fan of their work. So I urge you to go ahead and head over to the website, take advantage of that special offer, get your supplies in before the season starts for sure. Okay, here is Emma, enjoy. The first thing, and I know football's kind of resurfacing in all areas of the world at the minute. How has the lockdown been for you? I mean, what have you been doing personally and professionally? As everybody always knows, I'm extremely honest and I'm extremely direct. So there'd be no horseshit in any of this. Um, it's the first break I've had since 2011. So when I stepped out of the world of WPS and everything else, and I went and there's a foreign exchange, I had a two-year hiatus in my career. And that's the only time I've ever taken time out of football. So... When it stopped, I th- my first thought was, oh, my God, thank God. I can breathe. I can take stock. I felt like I was running on empty. Um, I felt really, really grateful for the wonderful team I have because when you have a great team, they carry you and not the other way around. Um, and uh, I was got the chance to be a mum. And I, I didn't realise how little I'd done of that until the lockdown when I was like, you know what, I need to spend time playing with trains and I need to spend time with Lightning McQueen and Buzz Lightyear. And and I'm really grateful for that because I learned to be, be a mum. I'm not the one that just changes bums in the middle of the night and feel, f- feeds my child with, with food. That chance to learn playing different um i'll be forever grateful for this time because of it yeah a lot of people i think a lot of coaches feel the same way where they've actually enjoyed a break from the 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 wheel but they don't want to say that i'll say it yeah and you know what sometimes i get away with being able to say those things more so as a woman but i've felt as a parent and in an industry where we all know the grind, we all know what you have to do to achieve, 
Um, I think I've been running on empty for quite some time. And to still achieve success running on empty, I felt more great gratitude about that than anything else. And it's a recognition that uh, your health matters, um, your family time matters, and you can still do a wonderful job and have all of those things too. And while we think there's endless hours of, of more analysis, of more recruitment, of more coaching, you know, methodology, whatever it might be, um, quality is what really matters. That's what I've learned. Brilliant. The Stats Bomb Conference that you did, mm. um, really enjoyed that. Enjoy. First of all, I really appreciative of Stats Bomb for putting out all the interviews and the presentations and, uh, mm. and the discussions. Um, you were you were very uh, vocal on the role of data and how it's helped you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, first of all, I'm really thankful of the time I've had with Ted and the experiences he shared with us in shaping our coaching into one that has even more objectivity and. The important thing about that is not replicating anything or not replicating anything anybody else does, but being able to shape the most important parts or what I call the most value-driven parts into your coaching. Um, I valued from the work with Statsbomb the importance of um, conscious thinking and data-driven approaches but not about everything, uh, about the things that really, really matter. And I thoroughly enjoyed improving myself this year in and around uh, Stats Bomb. It's something I've always had a keen interest in. And it's, I think with Ted, you've got a great open human who is sharing and giving. And I relate to that because I feel that way too as a coach that, um, he knows this. He doesn't need me to tell this that they, they they've had a massive part to play in our success this year. The chapter in Michael Calvin's book, uh, mm. "Love the State of Play," brilliant book. If any coaches haven't read it, write it down. "State of Play," Michael Calvin, fantastic. You've got a quote that I had uh, marked, bookmarked in that I went back to when I was putting these questions together, and you said, "I like the combination of technology and process." Without a framework, opinions fly all over the place, and it's the death of an organization. So mm. how do you balance between that subjectivity? Because there has to be some of it, I'm guessing, yeah. and the objectivity as well. Well, first of all, that statement reminds me of a Radiohead album, Kid A, um, and the opening track on that album that uh, sticks in my brain. I think about all my reading as a child and the influence uh, from George Orwell uh, to Stanley Kubrick, filmmaker, and the influences they've played a part in me in a futuristic approach to life. So when I think about technology and its role in a sport that's been around for hundreds of years, it feels that way, um, the... I've had enough years of experiencing that, oh, my God, it can be really overwhelming 
what part do I take from it? How much of the objective data am I turning into something quite subjective just to, to get the outcome that I want versus clarifying principles, clarifying key performance indicators, clarifying sub-principles, and then taking the data and how they work into that so that you're playing style and the data side by side, the parts that matter the most. Mm. Hundreds of data sets, but what's going to get us to where we need to go? That's what I focus on. How am I going to get there? I don't. I don't care for detours and A roads. I want to go on the high road, the fastest route possible to success. Otherwise, you're wasting time. And it. it, it but to understand that, you really have to have a very, very deep understanding of what you're trying to do. And you. And until you do that, you can't then identify what you need to take from the data. So for me, I'm always about making sure your principles, uh, sub-principles are so deeply uh, clear and understood that only then can you take the data sets that relate to that for it to have any, uh, I can't say interest, but any relativity to what you're trying to do. Um, and I've understood that in a really, really big way, probably in the last 12 months. I certainly feel a lot clearer about how to link the two. It might, that might have taken me 10 years, if I'm really honest about that. Um, I know this is great. I've got a whole data set that says how many passes we've made. or Like every coach, we wrestle within our profession about its relevance i feel focused about what really matters and how i'm going to apply it in my world without veering off course is what i'm trying to say mm. that takes time a lot of years yeah well that's that's the thing like i had raymond verheyen on here on monday and and he was obviously, you know, he's very critical about most things. But the biggest one he was critical about was was the starting point. So, you know, I I think experience. You just said it there, and this is where Raymond had a pop at me, which was fine. I think experience is really, really important. I think that process of knowing what doesn't work is important. Um, where how do you balance that in coach education at the start? I mean changing the starting point to more objectivity is, is is one thing. How else can we do it? Think about it like this. You're a lawyer. You're a doctor. You go through formal education. That formal education is underpinned by five really, th five major tenements. Those tenements are altruism, ethics, Commitment, intelligence, and the last one is theoretical. The, all of every major profession, as we know, is underpinned by that. In football, the world governing body, FIFA, has provided no theoretical underpinning of our sport. So it's full of subjectivity. It's full of what Gary does here. It's full of what Emma does there. 
So the best way I can try to describe this to people is simple. It doesn't matter if you're a Brazilian heart surgeon or you're an English heart surgeon. You might stitch up a body slightly differently, but the procedure to which you operate on is exactly the same, regardless of your language, your nationality, your ethnicity, etc., etc., etc. In football, it's all over the place. So no wonder. And we talk, let's look look at this from a perspective of developing people and you relate it to education or uh, medicine or law our students are being subjected to their kidney being removed this way in Italy and that way in England so no wonder it's all over the place and that's why I uh, the need for objectivity needs to exist and I've always felt that being able to describe what Raymond is suggesting might be in easier for someone of the English language to say it like that. And Raymond does it better than anybody else in the world. End of subject. Nobody does it better than him. Uh, creating an objective philosophical framework by which there is a need for that starting point. And that is what he means by the starting point, is that where are FIFA? Where are they in, in, in saying to you and saying to me uh, the objective uh, references that we need around our game are there no matter if you're Brazilian or you're English? I'm not saying you don't have your own, you know, style or, or things that accompany it. But I understand that more when I zoom out of football and I look at other professions. That's when I really, really understand how lost football really is. England looks to be a culture that has improved in recent years. Education, you don't think it's made as many strides as it should? What do you mean? What do you mean by education? Well, the, the FA licenses for the most part and their continuing continuing education seems to be a lot more, there's a lot more access to it at different levels now that there, you know, there seems to be a more, more specialization, um, more diversity in thought. At the level of application hmm. of how to do something, at the level of the what, the objectivity, nowhere near it. But no one is in the world. So it. I think I'll go back to the same thing. Until we develop for football something that's equivalent to the bar, and I mean at that level, not an A licence that is... I've got to be honest, I never felt challenged by it. I never felt challenged by my pro licence because I thought it was all about uh, application. Here's what they did at Bolton. Here's what they do at England. There's some best practices here and there. I want something to be rooted firmly in something. From there, you develop your philosophy. But it has to, you know, whether you're a criminal uh, barrister or a defence attorney, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter which end you are. Um, the bar and the legal underpinning is what provides your starting point. And that's what the starting point means. What do we have in football? I guarantee you, uh, to some extent, the 
if I think about how ready I've been for my profession because of my licensing, nowhere near it. What has prepared me for the level I'm at now? Listen, experience helps within that, but the more objective and I became within that, within my work, the better I became at it, it became less emotional, less less based on what I liked or based less on what I'd experienced and more about how do you really develop a player? What underpins that development? What is the learning process to doing that? How do I de create situations to provoke the behaviour I'm looking for? Need the references in your head to begin with. That's, I'm nowhere near it. I'm nowhere near it, but I am, I am like everybody getting closer to where I'm trying to get to, but I will only get there with a greater understanding of the theoretical underpin of football. Brilliant. Whenever you're in champ the Champions League, when you're talking about then traditionally... The competition. <laughs> the a higher a higher level of tactical demand similar to international football mm. uh, pictures are stronger do you change your preparation to suit those weeks leading up to champions league games do they differ from from the the league games listen the fa cup's different to the league game the Conti cup's different the league game the champions league's different completely different game it is then you got home and away Whew. I had this conversation with, I don't know who it was earlier about the differences in Europe. My former assistant, actually, who I work with in America, Denise Reddy, and we had this conversation about the differences in Europe. And we said, well, you don't have Champions League to deal with in NWSL. And well, what does that mean? Well, clearly, no, I will say this. I never, playing at, at PSG, wow. And all the things you have to prepare for in how that affects what you're doing. How do you mirror uh, and prepare your team for the situation of 20,000 ultras welcoming you to hell? That was their slogan when we walked out of the tunnel. Welcome to hell. I'm thinking to myself, the game is going to be a hell of a lot different than Arsenal away because that game's emotional. This one is emotional, but it's triggering the other side of the amygdala. The Arsenal one is Derby, up for this, let's go. The other one is, oh my God, they're throwing flares, they're, they're insulting my family, they're whatever it is, very much like a men's game. So how you prepare for that, I think at the Champions League, uh, yeah, tactics play a huge part of it because you're playing against styles from leagues that you're not used to. And it doesn't matter if you think. What I've learned about coaching is you watch a team back on tape and you're like, oh, actually, I, I, I think we'll be all right. And then you get them live. You're like, oh, they're unbelievable, this German team. But you won't know that until you've experienced it. Well, how do you recreate then that experience? for your team in the weeks leading up to it, you've definitely got to play a higher level opponent. If you don't train against a higher level opponent in the build up to the Champions League, you're screwed, I think. I think that's one element 
two years after I have to trigger the amygdala. I have to really create that real unrest in them because I know they're going to be. I've got some great photos of PSG going 2 0 up away from home, and it was just a cloud of flares. And we scored in the 91st minute, whatever, to get the away goal. And I keep thinking to myself, I'm, I'm so proud of the team for overcoming that because it's really easy to fold away from home there. But for whatever reason, some of the planning helped with that. For me to take that to a next level, I have to constantly think I'm going to create that brain overload for the players if we want to win it. Is that done from training? Is that done from scheduling? Is that done from training management? Training. Training. Everything's about training. Everything. You can't. You want to go from 100 to 100%. It's all what you do on the grass. Um, how you do that on the grass, that's really conscious. That is about how will I provoke what I want, and not just in terms of, oh, we're going against, I don't know, a really front, a fast front four. Yeah, you're dealing with pace, and it's more than that. The situations that you're exposed to, I understand why it takes teams a long time to win the Champions League, men's and women's. I really do. I understand it. I understand. In the modern day, I can't say, I can't speak for, you know, I look at Guardiola's team. I understand that. I really do understand that. Yeah, and of course, money plays a part because some teams can buy what they can to be in the competing places anyway. But if you're going to win from a position of not having the most money, then you've got to be, your coaching has to be top. Has to be top. And what I've learned about the Champions League is, shit, I better be good because if not, you get eaten up here. It's mm. top level. Is it then to play in a, to play a style of football with that level of scouting and then give them problems as well? Is that a challenge too, that you don't get worried about stopping them only in, in all these scouting reports? The reason I mention experience is when you haven't been in the competition for a lot of years and you're Chelsea, come on, I mean, Chelsea isn't a women's team that's been on the map for that long. So now you're all of a sudden playing a Wolfsburg or a Bayern Munich or a PSG. They're established names in the women's game. What do you think? You're just gonna have a few fancy and off you go. You you got you got to override something because what you what I've learned from winning positions is it's really really hard to get into a winning position. Once you're in that position, you establish the confidence that comes with it, the habits that come with it, the professionalisms that come with it. You then have to beat that out first. You need an extraordinary amount of luck first to get to that level. Then when you get to that level, you're like, oh, my God, we're no longer that team. We're the team that everybody wants to be. How do you then sustain it? Is that even harder? Yeah, because that's about that motivation. How do I keep everybody's motivation to the point where they're like, won that, won that, won that, won that. How do I keep it high? How do I create competition? Oh, we've had this coach nine years now. I'm not listening to her anymore. God, and the, listen, by saying that in the first instance is important. 
because I'm never, ever, ever going to work a day where you're tired of me. I'm walking before that. I'm out. The minute I know I have, my voice has gone too far, gone, gone, mm. over. So I have to constantly refresh in order to keep them refreshed. I have to continually adapt if I want them to adapt. So it's a combination of factors. You said on that then before the League Cup final, uh, I think it was February or March, there was winning breeds more winning. There's a hunger in our group that wasn't there last year. So have you changed anything in the environment to facilitate this hunger? Have you changed yourself or is it down to certain individual players? I mean, first of all, I had a baby. And some of you are parents on the listening in right now. I don't know how many have actually had a baby. All I can say is I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for how much it took from me. And you take this at a baby, uh, a basic level, not a baby level. I felt depleted because my baby needed all my minerals, all my magnesium, everything. So you take that at a basic level, they taking everything they can. Oh, I felt like that. So that year, I felt I wasn't at my best. I couldn't do anything about it. It was just where my body was. My mind, I wanted my mind to be somewhere. I just couldn't. I was depleted. So the first thing I had to do was improve myself, to get myself right. Two, there's the process, the natural process. It didn't happen as quickly as I want. I can honestly say two years on, I'm back to myself. It's taken me two years. I felt everything was exhausting. So to win the double last year, even though I was 70%, I'm even more proud of that. Because when I was at 50% last summer, I was like, nah, I'm not coming second again. Don't don't work for me. It drives me. It fuels me. So you have to do the most difficult things in that moment. And it's not personal. But to get what the players needed and where I needed to restructure and who I needed to let go, both in my staff and in the players and the playing personnel. And I think that is absolutely critical you've got to be prepared to make really really tough decisions that's the first thing two you want the players to mirror your behavior well you have to be mindful of that and reflective of that in everything you do so i made sure that was an important part i hired someone who was outstanding to help me with that and drive the process i hadn't in eight years had somebody help me drive the process at that level and hiring someone last year in bart really really help with that but also players have hunger when they lose and it's about how do I tap into that I don't find that the most interesting part I find it more interesting to think well now you've won are you going to sustain it because I will but how are you going to sustain it when you've got gold in your hand that's the hardest part of coaching sustained winning definitely that's why I loved Phil Jackson when I watched the the docu-series about the Chicago Bulls. Not only because I love that team, and I I, I, I I, don't know, deep down I took the job to go to Chicago because I love that team so much. <laughs> I really did. And I, when I went there for the first time, I cried. My first game, I was like, dreamt about Phil Jackson and his team. He was big to me then. So I, I, he had a huge impact on me, Phil Jackson. But I've learned that sustained winning is the hardest thing in the world to do, but you need top players. 
I, I love asking this question. How would you manage Dennis Rodman? I would have managed him exactly the same way. Would you? Mm-hmm. 100%. I'd have found whatever I needed to do for him, and I will for every one of them. I will always say to the player, you have to really think about where that positions me or you in that by choosing to do that. So if it's a personal situation where someone needs them, if I have to turn around to the team and say, listen, so-and-so's out of the environment this week and needed time for themselves, you have to trust me. That's what I how I would manage it. The difference is you don't have a media circle for mm-hmm. circus following our players. So would I manage it the same? Exactly the same, I'd have managed it. I think. Definitely. I think that's why I relate to him. He's my he's my cup of tea, him. We'll just take a quick break here. Any coaches looking for a professional development opportunity next month, the registration for the MSC Mentorship Programme in August is now open. I take a group of coaches through an intensive four-week programme where we take a specific theme every week. We have five in-depth webinars. We have a members-only resource page. And then there are four assignments where coaches will get personal feedback on their work. So if you're looking for new ideas or if you're looking for feedback on current ones in regards to philosophy, game models, match analysis and session design, I think you will love this here. Registration is available now. There are 30 spots that went up two days ago. I think there's about 18 left. So if you go to modernsarcacoach.com slash shop, you'll be able to register and get more information. Thank you. Hope to see you there. On the... On the Coach's Voice interview, you talked about no excuse culture. And mm. I'm curious about this. Really fascinated. When you, you said that you ask, you know, in the lead up to a game, you ask, have I missed anything? Does anything need clarifying? And I wanted to, to see if that was a starting point for your pre-game talk, that you revisit something, or is this a conscious way that you want players to feel that they're prepared? First of all, this is why process matters. Because if you have a process, a tick box, did I do this, did I do this, did I do that, did, I, did we do that, da, 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 da. then at least you get to game day and you go, I've done my job. Only you know as a coach when a game ends and you say, I could have dealt with that better this week. Or I could have dealt with her or him or um, I didn't really coach that clearly enough. Only you know. Nobody else knows. You know that. Are you willing to look inward at yourself? What I've learned is in losses, you learn an awful lot about your players as people. So when those people turn in and go, yeah, but they didn't do this. They didn't give us that information. And they didn't, you know, give us enough, I don't know, didn't do enough finishing this week. And that's why we don't score. Crap example, but you know my point. I want to make sure that I make things systemic and processed so that it isn't just about that week. It's across the board. It's measurable. I hold you to account. And when I get to my last session on a Saturday, I say, is there anything else? Yes? No? Okay. What else do you need from us? 
let me know. I'll ask that all the time. What else do you need? Tell me. Then I'll say, tomorrow, how do you want it to, how do you want your pregame to be? What do you want it to be about? You want it to be to focus on, and I always focus on us, always, always focus on us on game day anyway. But I try to mitigate circumstances and risk. I consult a lot. I uh, communicate and listen where I need to. Um, and when it's time to say, I heard you, I just need you to do this right now. This is what the team needs. Always about the team. It's never personal. It's never about MR. It's never about the player. Let's make this about the team. That's why I think over years I've always, I've got better uh, uh, when I name a team. The subs don't always like the process. I, I, I've done it for two days before I've done all them over 20 odd years. What I've learned is it doesn't really matter. Um, ideally, you don't do it on the day of the game. Ideally, if you want to minimise uh, the emotions. But if I'm doing it the day before, it's important as a sub or a non-squad player that you put the team first. So now's not the time to talk to me about it because all you're doing is taking me away from what tomorrow is about. And if you drain me... Then I'm thinking, all I'm thinking about is that. Instead of, I won't ignore what you need, but it's got to wait till Monday. That's something I've learned in and around. And, it, and like I said, it's not always ideal and it's not always what the player wants. So everything we do must be about the team, always, not about an individual. When you ask the team at that, the end of that training, have have I missed anything? Do you what kind of response do you get from players in that there? Has that changed over the years? Yeah, because I've got I've developed a culture of communication of uh if it isn't done there, then it might be fed back. So what happens is we all know players will trudge off and someone will go, I didn't like the session today. I didn't like either didn't feel I didn't flow enough, too much stopping for set pieces or blah blah. So I'll listen and then I'll try and decipher between is she just really nervous about tomorrow or is she unclear? And then I might follow up. So there might be a process of anonymity of somebody telling me something. And then I have to reflect on how I'm going to manage that, whether it's me, whether it's somebody else. Um, and half the time, sometimes people need reassurance. Sometimes they just need to be heard. Sometimes... Um, now, you can't always be the same thing for everyone. I'm never going to be popular with a sub. They always hate me. This is sort of people, I hear it with commentators on a Sunday. They're like, Emma, she manages her squad so well. How do you know? Do you know? They want to kill me if they're not in the team. So what, what instead of dissecting the process, I don't believe in, uh, I believe in a squad. I'm picking a team for that particular game. It's not personal. I just might want that type of player versus that one. And while you don't have to accept it, it's no problem. Just make sure you're ready to train on Monday. Why? Because you're professional. And that's what being professional means. How many doctors want to get out of bed on a Monday morning when they've, I don't know, lost three or four lives Saturday and Sunday? Still got to do the job on Monday. They can't say, oh, I'm not operating today because uh, I just oh, I feel like it. That, for me, is what I've driven Chelsea, being a professional, I think the women's game has to learn. 
we have to learn about what when I listen to interviews on the men's game and they'll say I read one this week with Matic and he said uh, you know I sort of doubted myself just a little bit but you know whatever I'm the manager's soldier I'm there for whenever he needs me I hear phrases and statements sent in the men's game like you and what's the difference? Well, Matic understands his profession a lot longer over 15 years. Women's football has only just become professional. So being understanding that you are there to do a job, I think, is still something that has to be developed in our game. Does that go into then academies where you're risking turning the player into or turning the player away from the enjoyment of the game a little bit earlier is that the responsibility then of a professional environment when they get to a certain age or how how can you grow that it's a business mm. it's really hard for people to hear that i work at one of the biggest football clubs in the world it's a business we're there we have holistic approaches men's women's football we have an altruistic care we have you know uh a responsibility towards the player, my job's to win. That's what my job is, what I'm paid to do. I accept it. I don't, there's no, is it popular? Or am I popular always, sometimes? Am I there to help them? Of course I am. I'll do anything for my players. Anything. But I'm loyal to one thing, winning. That's what I'm loyal to. That's my job. And if not, I go and manage somewhere where it's not an expectation. Um, I really understand that though, and it's it gets it gets more cold. It's got colder the the business of it, the industry. It's a results driven business. Is it then more difficult to 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 create relationships with players if that's the the premise? Is listen, this is a job. I'm your boss. Well, I never, I'll never make it about that because that, that is no one's going to just get out of bed for that. People are always going to say, what's in it for me? Um, and also, one of my players said it to me earlier, she's having a hard time today, and she said, you know what, I just, it's important to feel like I'm run for a wall for you. It's important to her. That, that happens that process happens so it's not always about running through a wall for a manager it might be for their teammates it might be it's a cause someone said it to me in a lecture i was in recently it's about abc people need to feel a sense of achievement for some it's winning for some it's putting food on the table secondly it's about the b sense of belonging if our sense of belonging, our personal and professional is strong, all's good. And C is about control. And if you've got a sense of control and your A, B, C matches up personally and professionally, more often than not, you're okay. When one falls off one way or the other, that's where the work needs to happen. You've got to get your ABCs right. I stand by that. I want them to achieve, but I want them to feel like they own it and they're in charge of it. And I want them to feel a sense of belonging. I mean, I have to be the squadron leader at time that says, I know it's pissing with rain and there's knee high, waist high mud pools we have to go through, but we just have to do that. That's our job. 
very military-esque that I think that is critical and sometimes you're going to do something to drag people and sometimes they're going to, you, they'll pull you and vice versa. So, yeah, I think the balance still needs to be there. But at the end of the day, I have to remain, I've got to remember what it takes to win the war and that I won't win every battle. But winning the war is my objective. Mm. You're looking, or, or I saw last month, you were looking for an assistant coach. And I wanted to ask you, what, you know, a lot of young coaches looking at this here, watching this here, listening to this here. I mean, what what would be the steps that it would take for that you would look at for hiring someone? Well, from process, I was curious what what type of candidates would in, would be interested in this type of post and certainly seen a shift towards years of those that come from the women's game to those that are coming from the men's game or wanting to come from the men's game. So naturally there's a higher caliber of candidate in the first instance. Um, but women's football isn't second best. It's not like, Oh, well, they've come from the men's game. Therefore they're going to abundant. And I think that's a mistake people make. They think it's an easier gig or they think it's um, lesser of something. Uh, when I think working for me must be your best and worst nightmare all at once because the standards we drive collectively matter and uh, I want to do the right thing. I, I'm not here for coach education. And the reason I say this to the longer, to the people that are li might be listening, is this is why I say to you, don't think lesser of it. So if I get an application, say, I think really good opportunity for me to learn from Emma. But I'm trying to hire somebody to help me win. So don't don't tell me you're here for a coach education course because then it means I'm going to be spoon feeding. Two, something I've learned is really important. Tell me how you're going to help us win. Because when you tell me things like I've got really good emotional intelligence. I'm thinking, listen, you need that. But don't give me that as your selling point. I want you to tell me something tactically. Give me insight. Give me insight into process that you will take to get there. Really difficult to do in a CV, really difficult to do with a CV generation that the glossier it gets, the more my HR department pick it up, worries me even more. Shit. Like, oh, well, wow. they give me all the glossy CVs. And it was the best ones. We've got the worst CVs. So I have to decipher between the two. So what I've learned in this process is don't think our sport is any less. Uh, two, tell me how you're going to you help us win. Help us win. Like, what? What? why, why am I going to hire you, not the other way around? What is it you're going to bring to that? organization and thirdly don't start to it's 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 having emotional intelligence is in, is as as important as every facet of your coaching much as people keep interviewing me lately to say tell me how the menstrual cycle what separates you around organizing menstrual cycle your menstrual cycles around training i never said that 
She said, I understand it. And it's a component of something that is is as important as your prehab or your nutrition or your sleep. It's just a part of it. It's not fucking not gonna win because of it. So I, I see a lot of lots of uh gimmick. Good hard coaching, good fucking genuine uh winning behaviors. That's what I care about anyway. Mm. It's all about the grass for me, not your iPad. So how would a young would a young coach then would they show examples of themselves? Would you want to see them break down your team? I mean, how do they kind of move it from theory to practice? Well, my question to the young group is how are you going to separate yourself? You're there with a pile of 200 applications. Tell me how you're going to separate yourself. How are you going to grab my attention? Yeah, you need the license. Yeah, you need the, you know, the criteria. But how are you going to separate yourself? Is it just the job you've done? Or are you going to use lots of action language that doesn't... I'm curious. I think one guy I interviewed the last time around, God forbid he's listening, but I'm telling him that he's really impressed me. So he didn't have the experience to work with the players on the grass. It was hugely impressive. Hugely impressive. And I'm curious to see how he... Sure he stood out. He made sure he stood out. He introduced me to something that was going to catch my attention. But that wasn't gimmicky. I think the more and more I coach, the more I realise, listen, it's not difficult, football. But when you've got a problem in football, it's do you have the references to solve it? Are you capable of solving it? Do you realise your whole issue for your team is your build-up? You, can you know how to do that? Um, how do you demonstrate that on the CV? I've often asked myself this myself, how would I do it if it was me now? I'd find a way to get to me away from the interview process. I would send you a body of work to make sure I'm at the front of your queue. Think about it. Think about Jose Mourinho, what he did. Think about Village Boas. Think about what they did. These are two guys, they read a much of a football game. They made sure Bobby Robson knew they were, or Jose Mourinho knew who AVB was. So I think as we think of um, uh, I have a Paul Clement with Ancelotti, exactly the same. You've got to find a way to put yourself at the front of the queue. And it's going to take more than the CV to do that. Brilliant. Last couple for you. Uh, there's a, a couple of people in the chat have asked about if you would go back to the kind of what you addressed at the start with balance and family life at that level. I mean, what what are some tips? There's a lot of college coaches, full time college coaches. Listening. God, I think my question will be in return. Can you give me any? <laughs> um, I've learned that I don't want to spend time resenting uh, or regretting I've spent too too much time with them and not and too much time with him that I've figured out what works for me I know now that when a game ends on a Sunday I don't sleep so I on the recovery I take off and I take the Tuesday off but on the Monday I spend time watching the game in between playing and then on a Tuesday, 
I spend my time with my son doing bits of bobs, but I still get the little in-between periods because I actually live quite far from Cobham. I do late on Wednesdays, long days, long days, Thursday, short of Friday. Saturday, I take him to work with me for the players and for me because otherwise I'll be crying. I miss him too much. It hurts me too much. So to take him to work and watch him with the girls, this gives me great joy. I used to take him to games on away games, but only when we're on the train, the bus is just too awkward now. And I accept that. And I actually struggled to do the job when I took him with me, unless my na- the nanny was with me. Um, it's a constant battle. It's one I haven't mastered. It's one that post lockdown, I won't compromise on the things that really, really matter. And I'm adamant I will not miss those big moments. The first school assembly, the first day at school. And no, no football. Nope, not going to compromise it. Family is the most important thing in the world. You've talked about brain endurance courses after experiencing sleep deprivation mm-hmm. with Harry. Uh, fascinated about this because I, like, I, even as a husband, I really struggle with sleep deprivation. <laughs> Where are those courses and, and what specific areas would you target? First of all, learn about how your brain works. And until you understand, it's a bit like, coaching a group of women who all say, we have this event every month, no one really understands it. Same with the brain. Until you understand its mechanism, how it works, how can you manage it at your most stressful times? So I actually think of my failures. I think about when I was highly stressed. I actually think Chicago is a good example. When I was in charge of Chicago, I can think of moments where I was so desperate for the team to score a goal and I just couldn't think of the next step. I remember being in games thinking, in this situation, they're not going to score. I couldn't think about how the next, I was just constantly stuck because maybe the challenge of it or the lack of sleep in the build-up to it I felt in the most stressful fans heckling me in the background. I just couldn't make clear decisions. So I think my starting point came from disappointment. But I have now know I now know if I have three hours sleep, you won't affect me when I go to work the next day. I can coach in the worst possible situation and I now know how to say think next action, how to do it. I know how to stay on task. Uh, I know how to um, recognise what's actually happening in my mind. I'm more aware. Self-awareness is crucial. And if you want to, if you want people to mirror what you're doing, your self-awareness is critical. Uh, and I found that going on a course that had three hours sleep every night for seven days, I failed miserably. The first four penny dropped. Once the penny dropped, I was like, I've actually felt more awake. Once I realised how to control the process, control, wrong word, don't control your brain. You don't control a stimulus that comes into your brain. What you do influence is when a stimulus hits your brain is what bounces out. Is it something that's just unconscious or have you turned it into a conscious action? Can you hear the rain? Sorry. Oh, it's, it's pounding, yeah. I'm up in the loft. Um. Last one. I was going to finish up, and then Car- Carmelina Moscato must just jumped on there, and uh, she wanted to ask about 
head coaches looking for candidates, mental performance, understanding the brain. Um, would you bring in a specialist, Emma, to deal with that with your team, same with set pieces, or do you think that has to be developed by the head coach? I really feel the most important people for the players are the staff that are with you every day. Especially you train off all the time in, well, this is the challenge, this is the situation, how do we best manage that? Do I find that you're going to have... Um, do I find you're going to have individuals that are going to require some help around their individual performance and the skills they need to develop? Yes. That's what I've understood in the importance of psychologists is around, first of all, working with the staff, get it right there. And where you've got individuals that require uh, special support, then give it to them. If not, is it a football problem we have? If it's not a football problem and it's a social, emotional, that's unrelated to football, that's different. But I think if it's an issue of, I don't know, someone's confidence, non-contextual word, well, what does that mean? You have to get to the root of that. As a coach, you can do that. So I think you just need to determine what actually uh, uh, is best fit. The individual is always at the heart of it. That's crucial. Last one, if uh, and you kind of touched on this before, so apologies if I'm repeating. But what would what advice would you have for a, a young Emma Hayes that's just starting out? Well, I think a young Emma Hayes is faced with different challenges. Do I think an Emma Hayes in 2012? that got the job at Chelsea would get the job now. No. That's why I think it's important for everybody um, uh, to think about what um, what they can do to differentiate from their there's more competitors. There might be more jobs, but there's more people competing for the jobs than ever. If there's more people com competing, how are you going to separate yourself from the rest without nepotism? It's not an easy journey. Do I think if ever I'd moved back into, if I'm now coming back from America after 10 years, what job am I going to be? An assistant at best at my level, uh, maybe into WSL. Unless I'm Laura Harvey. If it's Laura Harvey's level, Laura Harvey will come in and be a manager. If I'm thinking of a British female that's gone out there, gone into the college system, you know, I might have had a chance. Are they coming from the, I don't know, a Division One college to a WSL coach? I don't think so. So I think because of that, you might have to be a bit more patient in those steps. So make sure you are accumulating as much as possible uh, around it but there's no substitute for doing it like I've looked at the professional standards that are in place in my job now and compare it to the men's game I don't think there's any difference I have a vast number of staff expectations but I don't know what the difference would be it's not it's just their female players that's the difference 
So you're going to have to be skilled. And as I said this to somebody earlier, when you've got a lot of people coming from the men's game, there's always a, a frown upon it, like, oh, they're coming from the Yeah, I know, but just stay away from, always stay away from emotion. It's time-consuming. But there's a reason that if someone's coming into our profession, the women's game from the men's game, they're going to have been exposed to a, not in all circumstances, but if you're coming from a good level in the men's game, you're going to be exposed to more experiences in a better level. So we have to raise the bar. And that's hard to do when you haven't come from that. So there's always a, an expectation where women don't get the job for the thing. And I understand. I understand. I understand Title IX. I understand the need to put women in certain positions to learn. They're not going to be exposed to certain situations. But it might mean that we have to go a little bit further to acquire the same knowledge and the same level. And in return, I'd say people coming from the men's game, don't assume you're going to be shit hot. More often than not, I see a pile of poo coming from the men's game that think, hey, this is an easy target. Bad mistake. Make sure you treat coaching as coaching and doesn't matter the gender, that you are top drawer at what you do. I always say to people, it doesn't, I say to players this thing, it's not me you need to impress, it's your colleagues. And I say to other coaches, if you want to continue to have a professionist, make sure the people you impress are the people around you because they're the people that may hire you along the line. That, for me, when you're working like that, your reputation is everything. It matters. And the profession sees through the ones who are about themselves. Know the difference between me, like, oh, you know, that's just someone who might climb like that but dies out really fast because people see through them versus the ones who are genuinely good but might take a little bit more time. Wow. Brilliant. Emma, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Unbelievable response to even on the on the chat as well. Everyone loved it. Thank you. Welcome. You're welcome. All right. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you in the grass soon. Yeah, all the best. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. No problem. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.